Hey, welcome to Companies Making Culture. I'm your host, Aaron Cohen. I'm a risk management and organizational consultant. Every couple weeks, I'm chatting with a new company, talking about who they are, what they're building, and how they're creating a culture that perpetuates growth. This is our second episode, and we're really excited to have Dan Mitre, the CEO of New AV Sports. Let's get started with Dan. Sure. Yeah. So thank you for having me on the show, Aaron. Uh, New Wave Esports is an esports organization that invests and uh, acquires esports companies. Um, we look at uh, a wide variety of, of companies from early stage to mature. And we really come in and we help dial up those businesses, give them the support they need from capital to access to publishers and developers, our gaming network to uh, financial assistance, whether they need to raise more capital, all the way to back-end services like legal uh, financial preparation. So we really give them the tools to thrive and continue doing what they do best, and that is esports. Uh, New Wave uh, Esports is very passionate about that industry, uh, mainly because of the people involved here. So uh, talk about the, the team a little bit, then we'll dive a bit more into the business. Uh, starting with myself, uh, I'm a 17 year, well now 18 years uh, video game industry uh, pro. I've been in and out of various publishers and developers. Um, the last five years I worked at Electronic Arts and uh, my, my baby, my franchise was the Battlefield franchise. And uh, I got to launch Battlefield 4, Hardline 1, and 5. And within all of that, not only you know the, the pre-marketing campaigns in which we roll out at a global scale and getting communities charged up about the game, but we really placed a, a big emphasis on the live service. And that is the tail end of the game, or when the game really actually starts, um, which is usually like a good four or five year cycle. And within that sits esports. So esports is a retention based tactic for a lot of the big publishers and developers out there. It keeps the game alive. It keeps people plugged in. There's the marketing inherent marketing value of people playing your game, streaming it on Twitch, taking VODs, putting it up on YouTube, and then obviously competing in an in actual uh, global and national uh, uh, championship environment. And so what we've done with my network is being able to bring all of my colleagues and my, my relationships at EA, Activision, THQ, Sega, all these great places and people I work with over to the New Wave side. And that's where we bring in a lot of great uh, uh, resources for our portfolio companies. Now, I, we're a, basically a double-headed dragon. So I'm the gaming guy. On the other side of the coin is Trumbull Fisher and Clayton Fisher. They're our finance uh, guys. And so they sit up in Toronto and uh, Vancouver, and they really bring in the money to make it happen. So between us three, uh, we really we, we, we form what is New Wave Esports, um, at least the, the foundation. Uh, and then from there, we start placing our capital into portfolio companies. Uh, so uh, I'll summarize there with just that, that brief foundation that we've got a great pedigree of people attached to uh, New AV Sports, and uh, we're really here to see esports grow and being a contributing force behind the industry. That's awesome, man. So let me ask you this from a KPI standpoint, what are you looking for with your portfolio companies? And what are your investors looking for within New Wave Esports? Yeah, so we've split the company up into two pillars. Uh, the first one being more the traditional holdings co side. And this is where we own minority stakes in companies, anywhere from like five to seven, maybe eight percent equity within those companies. Um, and those uh, we very much keep at the minority stake. A lot of those companies are projected to go public. 
Um, so when it comes to KPIs within the minority stake side, uh, obviously a lot of the information is private. These are private companies, but what we're looking for are companies that generate great top line revenues. Obviously that's very important, but also can dial in some profitability. Now, sure, okay, okay, Dan, yeah, everyone's trying to make money, but are they making money that, that is actually sustainable? Are these teams that are running these understand the space within gaming and esports, and do they have multiple revenue streams? So take, for example, a team. When we invest in a team, we don't look at, oh, are they winning? Are they bringing in prize purses? Yes, that is important. But what's more important is that that's not their only revenue source, that they're actually an established organization that's cranking out content that's producing uh, great, meaningful, and engaging content for their communities and building that community. So it's all about the audience reach in which they're selling sponsorship against, partnerships as well, uh, and really creating a holistic business out, uh, with a team attached to it. And that's just one example in, in one of the verticals that we invest in. Now, the second pillar in which we set up the company is the traditional acquisition side. So we go out and we look for companies that, number one, uh, again, do have uh, some top line revenue coming in, but we know that profitability is not necessarily key here. We're looking at growth. What's the growth opportunity? Really, what what is their product? Is it uni uniquely positioned? Uh, does it push the esports industry forward? And, and are there collaborative opportunities to bring in, uh, the company into the mix within our portfolio to build in new revenue streams. So we we invest and acquire within four verticals. That's teams, uh, platforms, and networks. So anywhere where gamers connect online could be online tournaments or wage betting platforms, events and tournament operators, and tech and tools. So the backbone of the industry. Uh, and we've our portfolio certainly reflects those four verticals. So you talk about KPIs of what you want to see, whether you're taking a minority stake or um, buying uh, or I guess acquiring the company as part of your portfolio. Do you, I guess, provide guidance in terms of how bullish they may be with spending capital for potential growth? Um, I guess, what, what do those conversations look like with your portfolios, you know, from a minority company standpoint and then companies you have a larger stake in? Well, on the minority side, uh, we're, we're a bit more passive. We're hands off. You know, we know that coming in, it's really a capital raise uh, in order to facilitate a certain set of use of proceeds. Uh, and we very much look at, okay, well, what is this money going to? Is it going towards, if they're an online platform, additional development? Um, is you know half that going to development, half going to user acquisition? You you know if you have an online property, a lot of it's going to go towards user acquisition, and it should it should go towards that marketing. So we want to make sure that per company, obviously, is very unique uh, and specific to the company itself, and, and de depends on which vertical they lie in. We look at where that money is going, and then what the projection of revenue. Uh, you know, we look very much at their pro formas over the next uh, several years. And ultimately, where the inflection point of profitability comes in, where is the cash flow positivity? So, you know, that's obviously the money side of things. And money is important. Money, money, it takes money to make money. But we also look at what kind of experiences are they are they creating? Is this beneficial for gaming and esports? Is it sustainable? And is it something that the community is going to latch on to and call their own? 
Esports is not like traditional gaming in the sense that you can crank out an awesome game, and uh, within that game, you have you know uh, communities that develop lifestyles and personalities around that. You can't develop an esports game. It's the community that says, "Hey, I want to play that in an esports fashion." I mean, you can definitely uh, put a lot of work towards creating an esports mode, but it really comes down to the community to, to push it forward. So we're always looking at the experiences as well as uh, the financial viability, and this also goes for the acquisition side. Um, very much the same. But when we do acquire a company, we get a bit more obviously hands-on because now it's a, it's a new wave property. And so we have much more jurisdiction to say, well, you know, we don't agree with uh, you know, X amount of percentage being put towards user acquisition. You should probably put it more into the development and then do user acquisition because your product needs more work. Or, hey, the product is great. You're a, a great event company. Um, you and, and you certainly have made your events uh, profitable because you've uh, created some great efficiencies. Now it's time to expand. How much capital do you need to expand? Okay, you're doing two, ma two majors. Let's do four major events in 2020. How about 10 in 2021? How much is that going to cost? And so that's where we come in and uh, we strategize, break down those numbers, and then start looking at how is how's the community going to adopt this? Uh, where is the price point? Does it make sense for the community? Is it beneficial to them? So ultimately, uh, we want to make products and experiences that the community finds value in. And if they don't find the value in it, then we kind of want to pass on it. Interesting. So, so you're saying that the esports community is very cognizant of instances of when they're being sold to. Um, I guess that leads well into the next question is, how would you define the ethos of um, esports and gaming in general. How, what is that environment? What does that community look like? Well, gaming is certainly something that is near and dear to me. I'm a gamer myself, hardcore gamer, man. Um, hell, just passed this weekend. You know, I was throwing down on Apex with one of my friends, uh, and new season three recently came out. A lot of great changes. Uh, and what does that what that tells me? Number one is that the ethos behind game development and marketing is yes, you do need to come out and create something unique and something bold and something new and fresh, but you can't do it in a vacuum. You have to do it alongside your community. Ultimately, you need to create a game that the that gamers want to play. So you have to listen to our, your community. And that's where gaming has certainly evolved over the past Oh, man, I mean, rapidly within the past 10 years because of the introduction of Twitch and YouTube and having influencers and tastemakers really dictate the marketing and how games are received. Um, you know, obviously back when you had one shot and you put a game on a cartridge, uh, this was a game that you 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 built off of focus testing and you thought, you know, where's the trends going within the industry and we're going to make a game that we think gamers want. But now we have two-way dialogue. We have a conversation with gamers, so we can make them exactly what they want. Sometimes they don't know what they want, so that's where <laughs> it takes the professionals of development teams and know exactly how to bring great experiences to life and continue doing it going forward. Look at Fortnite. Fortnite does it professionally and to, to, to a T. They listen to the community, they develop for that, but they also bring new innovative things that the community may not have thought they wanted. So that ethos is exactly what we apply to esports. But even more so, we have to listen to what esports uh, communities want, what they need, and what they ultimately need to be successful, whether they're an athlete, 
you know, that could be down to salaries and contracts and percentages to uh, marketing uh, viability to uh, the the con- uh, consumers themselves, those who like to watch esports and the entertainment value and properties behind that. Um, we have to make sure that those are entertaining and fun and they still feel like they're a part of something bigger uh, than they ever could be. So it's very much listening to our communities, but still going forward and innovating where we can. Interesting. So naturally, if we're talking about the ethos of gaming, we got to touch on Battle Royale. Um, what's been your position and guidance to your portfolio companies in terms of um, whether they're embracing it, whether they think it's a short-lived trend? Um, what's been your perspective and, and guidance um, on this um, category of gaming? Yeah. Uh, so personally, as a, as a gamer and a, and a professional in the industry, you have to look at trends. You have to look at history here and you have to look obviously going forward. Um, and we've seen a lot of different modes come and go, but there are tried and true modes that stay. Some drop off and then they, uh, they have a resurgence, you know, team deathmatch. Team deathmatch is something that will always be played. Uh, that was something that's introduced way back, you know, in, in early days of, of first-person shooters. Um, and, I, and I've seen a lot of great games that have perfected it, and then Team Deathmatch falls off. Right now, Team Deathmatch is a staple mode in a lot of first-person shooters, but what's hot right now is Battle Royale. Uh, and Battle Royale, I think, still has a, uh, a market to be successful. It's a fun mode, but you, but you can't rely on that. You can't. You can't think you're going to be on top of the mountain and you're, you're the king, you're on your throne, and no one's going to dethrone you. You have to be listening to your community. Again, what is they, where, what are they, where's their trends going? What's the consumer behavior? And what's that telling you about the life cycle and progress of your game? So uh, is Battle Royale going to be a bubble that pops? No, I don't think so. I mean, I, I think there's been some great successes out there. There's also been some failures or some mediocre successes. Fortnite obviously being one of the biggest ones, Apex being another but you have like uh, a team that I, I very much love and worked with over uh, several years uh, at Dice, and we tried to introduce uh, uh, Battle Royale in the Battlefield sandbox format called Firestorm. Now, this is a good example of a mode that's hot within the mass communities because of Fortnite and Apex. Um, obviously, for, uh, Firestorm was released before Apex, uh, but didn't necessarily land well. And why is that? It's because the community behind Battlefield wanted a different experience. They didn't want something that was sort of either shoehorned in or it was a mode that was hot and applied towards a, um, a traditional game style that they were comfortable with. And that is this open sandbox battle, 64 players, all out war, whatever goes, goes. Um, and that was that, that sandbox environment where the Battle Royale kind of put some limits on that. So you have to listen to your communities. I think it's a mode that can continue to thrive, um, but we just we have to be careful with how much um, how much permanence we put into that without being able to to react to what gamers need. So let me ask you this: You have four categories that make up New Wave Esports. Um, of those four, what are you most excited about within each of those? Um, and, and which do you feel have the greatest potential or may be very under overlooked or undervalued currently? So, um, so again, to reiterate, we invest in four verticals, uh, teams, platforms, events, and tech and tools. Um, and what excites me most and where I'm seeing some of the biggest movement is in the events and tournament operator side. Um, and the reason being is they are creating the real experiences that 
communities latch onto. They they put their pants on if it's in a local uh, area. You know, uh, the, even Matchup Gaming is one of the companies that we are uh, acquiring. We entered a definitive agreement to fully acquire them, and they run the biggest Super Smash Brothers tournaments within Toronto and Tri-State area. And they also work closely with World Gaming Network to bring in other FGC title or, or uh, fighting game community titles like Tekken 7, Street Fighter 5, um, as well as Dragon Ball Fighter Z. And what I see there, excite, there's two things that, that excite me. Is one, on the financial side, there's more profitability there. We're seeing anywhere from 30 to 40% profit margins per event. And that's because we are able to subsidize a lot of the costs via long-term contracts with production companies. Uh, we have great relationships with venues that we operate out of. Um, and so that obviously gives us uh, great discounts on unionized labor, uh, especially because they're, you know, even Matchup Gaming is six years, six, seven years running. Um, and everybody loves bringing that community into their house, into the venue. And so the second part of that away from the finance side is the communities that come out are so turned on and passionate about being there, um, both online and on site. So on site, I saw the same kids and young adults come every single day over a three-day event and were there from nine in the morning till nine o'clock at night. And they just wanted to be a part of it. And they wanted to be, um, you know, in this community with their friends and being able to shake the hands of the athletes that they love to watch. And they came with money in the pocket. We completely sold out all of our merch. We sold out all of the food and beverage. This was creating a lifestyle, a community, a real place to feel like they can, they, they have a place to call home and, and something they walk away and share with their friends. So that's what I like to see uh, in community building and, and uh, creating businesses are people that are just passionate about the things that we've been able to create. Um, so it's more sustainable on the event operations side. And the last thing I'll say there, why it's so attractive is whether esports rises and falls quarter over quarter, event companies are agnostic to esports. They can tap into the gaming side. They can partner with, say, Respawn and, and help with an Apex, uh, say, Season 4, Season 5 announcement. They can tap into other technology uh, companies. So one company that we just entered LOI to acquire, Activate Entertainment, they do Panasonic's uh, CES booth. So you see, we, now we have additional revenue streams and not just reliant on the rise and fall of esports, but now we're ta tapping into gaming and tech. So very much more resilient when it comes to uh, consistent revenue streams. Um, the last thing I'll say, what other areas and pitfalls should you avoid? I think uh, Teams has certainly been all the talk, and it certainly generates some of the biggest headlines. But as we've seen from financial statements with some publicly traded uh, teams, the profitability is not there. There's too much overhead, too much going into salaries and team houses and operating uh, the team itself. Like we're looking like anywhere from three to six percent profit margins. So it's really hard to keep that sustainable and continue to grow. And that impacts the uh, the inflation and the value of the esports industry as a whole. And that has a ripple effect on other investors when they don't see the money that was promised to be made coming out of the teams and all the big hype behind it. So that's where I'm coming in and shaking up the investors saying, well, I've been telling you it's not teams. Even Mark Cuban said, watch out for the teams. 
It's all about the event space, the platforms, and the other things that are resilient and can weather through the rise and fall of the esports industry. That makes a lot of sense. I think being able to leverage not only teams, but ancillary platforms and the picks and shovels um, are going to make you a little bit more immune to some of that volatility. So just to quickly wrap up and you know surmise everything you were saying, where do you see esports going in 2020 and where do you see you guys yourselves fitting into that? Well, 2020 is all about uh, building out this esports organization. So what you've seen already is we're acquiring two companies, even Matchup Gaming that we talked about and Activate Entertainment. And those sit within our uh, events and tournament operators uh, verticals. Now, I want to become a full-blown, full-service esports organization. Uh, and that's where we're going to look at acquisitions within the other three verticals, teams, uh, teams that are operating as a full organization, not just as a single team itself, uh, platforms and tech and tools. So uh, seeking those and being able to build collaborative revenue streams between those acquisitions and then obviously positioning New Wave as a esports vehicle for other brands, partners, big time sponsorships to come through, tap into our audience reach. And really, and really dial in incredible productions, whether it's producing an esports show for a streaming service to an on-site esports uh, event to um, propping up the latest and greatest teams and having more of an inherent marketing exposure value to what we've built. That's my end of 2020. That's my goal. And then 2021 is going to be more taking on the global expansion of those properties and really finding the new uh, cultural nuances, but also the new regions that we can reach out and monetize in. Hey, that's all for our second week on Companies Mate and Culture. Thank you to Dan Mitre for taking the time to sit down and thank you for listening. Have a great week.